Ladies, here is Lenore Zan, a.k.a. Rogue. It's Cal Dodd here, voice of Wolverine from X-Men, the animated series, Bub. I want you to join me at The Uncanny Experience, the ultimate destination for X-Men fans just like you. Where you will become a mutant student at Xavier's. And be able to explore the school campus, shop the vendor hall, and meet the creators and stars of the X-Men universe. There'll be panels, parties, immersive activities all throughout the historic mansion. Whether you're a fan of the comics or the movies or the animated series, you'll find something to love. This is Chris Claremont. I'm looking forward to seeing you all at the Uncanny Experience. It's going to be one hell of a ride, Bob. I bet it will be uncanny. Get your tickets now, sugar, at the uncannyexperience.com. Bum bum bottom, 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 You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four color realm. In this episode, we're taking the physicality of modern dance and the improvisation of free jazz and infusing it with a punk sensibility in our creator corner, talking shortcomings by cartoonist Adrian Tomini from Drawn and Quarterly. Is this uh, our um, New Yorker voice? Like, is this our NPR voice that we're using today? I knew, uh, like, I, mellow. I, I took this quote directly from the book. Okay. And I didn't want to have to do multiple takes. Got it. So I was okay. like, Lisa, really you got to slow the energy down <laughs> so you can get through this because we got a lot of content to make this week. Well, it is Friday, the second day of the San Diego Comic-Con International Experience. Experience. We gotta reserve our energy. We still have two days left Hopefully. of the San Diego Comic Con. Hopefully, oh, no. <laughs> like unless some kind of apocalyptic event. I was starting a new th- thought. Uh, new, new thought, everyone. New, new thought. thought, everyone. <laughs> everyone, slow down. This is a new thought. <laughs> new thought. Hopefully. We all saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yesterday. <laughs> oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> Mutant mayhem. Uh, as uh, you may or may not know, we're recording this from the past, last week, uh, hoping that we have published it on the right day of Friday of this week. Yeah, we're really, we're putting our cart way before the horse. Please look at the links in the show notes and confirm that we have published a conversation with Daniel Warren Johnson in our Patreon feed about the nom number nine that we have published a conversation with Paul Cornell talking about his new Ahoy comic series, Con and On. And there should be links also to last week's episodes in conversation with Shannon and Luke Lieberman talking about the 50 year anniversary of Red Sonia, as well as an episode with Tyler Crook talking about the Lonesome Hunters, the Wolf Child number one from Dark Horse Comics. I hope those links are there. If they're not, things went awry. <laughs> but we are definitely at San Diego Comic Con. I'm going to assume that much. 
And I'm also going to assume that it's going to be a little bit of a weird Comic-Con. It's going to be different. It's going to be different. We've been attending since 2011. This is actually, I believe, our 11th Comic-Con because we didn't go in 2020 and 2021, but we were there last year. But this year, Comic-Con is happening during the WGA and SAG after a strike which is going to get in the way of the usual kind of Hall H panels. And if you've looked at the San Diego Comic-Con programming, you've noticed a big difference surrounding Hall H. Panels are dropping like flies. Now, does that mean that Comic-Con is doomed? You know, I certainly don't think so. Uh, But of course, you're listening to a comic book podcast. (laughs) I think this Comic-Con is going to end up being one of the best Comic-Cons that we've ever attended. It's the first Comic-Con we've ever attended as press. So we're super excited about that. It's the first Comic-Con that we've attended in which Lisa was on a panel yesterday. And I'm sure it went great. But I also think this will be a Comic-Con in which we spend almost zero time in Hall H, which will be weird for us. And I do know that Comic-Con Comic-Con, the organization, does survive on its ticket sales. And I do worry that people are going to return their tickets, that maybe people won't trust in the con because they are there for the movies. And if the movies aren't going to be there, they won't buy tickets for next year. Like, I do have that anxiety a little bit. At the same time, I'm really excited that the WGA and SAG-AFTRA struck. Yes, You know, like, heck yeah, union strong. This is not about rich Hollywood folk looking to become even richer. This strike is not for for Brad Pitt and the American Horror Story guy, Ryan Murphy. This is for the workaday writers who are being turned over from their shows every three episodes so that they could get, so they can not get benefits. Right, and it's about the actors who are in the background of your favorite shows, you know, that are getting paid $125 a day and also being asked to scan their likeness so that the studio can own that likeness. Like, this is stuff that we need to have a conversation about right now and correct we can't just let those capitalists on the mountain of gold make all our decisions yeah because we will be crushed because they just want to be richer and richer and richer to the point where it's like like they have the amount of wealth that they can't access it anymore like they can't spend all of that money all they're doing is creating a scoreboard where they win and everyone else who's made them rich loses and a certain ceo coming out and saying that the demands of the wga is ridiculous when that ceo is making 22 million dollars a year uh that's ridiculous that's ridiculous and threatening idea makers that they can be replaced by AI is ridiculous. Art is a human conversation. Art is what we use to talk to each other as the human community. And if there is not a human on the other side of that idea, like what are we even doing? So Comic-Con might be a little weird this year, okay? Hall H might not be as jam-packed with uh, actors and writers and you know, movie trailers. But this is also an opportunity for those at Comic-Con and for those that are not at Comic-Con to go support those indie creators. That's right. The people who could really use your dollar. You know, go to those Etsy pages, go to their Patreon accounts, go to their uh, coffee uh, accounts and, and, and give them some shekels. Yeah, we live in a capitalist society and I don't totally resent that. I only mostly resent that. But we have no other way of proving 
of assigning value to something without giving it our dollars and cents, tossing a little of our hard-earned jingle jangle that way. So until we live in Star Trek future where money doesn't exist anymore and everybody is doing the thing that fulfills them, we have to vote with our dollars and right. our cents. Right, right. And when you find a piece of art that you love, you need to go to the mountaintop and shout about it, which is what we do hopefully every week on this podcast. It's certainly what we're going to do right now, talking about Adrian Tomini's Shortcomings, a graphic novel that Lisa read first, and then I read second, and we both were kind of floored by it. And then to learn <laughs> that there was an independent film adaptation of it, you're like, th this isn't the kind of comic that gets a movie, but here we are. Shortcomings is a graphic novel and now a major motion picture directed by Randall Park. Heck yeah. About a toxic gaslighter who is so far up his own butt, he can't see his stiff arms and terrible opinions pushing away his loved ones who have been supporting him since he was just a, a little baby insufferable person. I don't know if Adrian Tomini would agree with that plot synopsis exactly. Not exactly. But that's also part of this conversation that we're about to have. We talk about likability and what it means for your characters to be sympathetic. Uh, and, and, and I love, oh, I'm, I like, I'm so close to spoiling something that Adrian <laughs> says, but I love the way that Adrian frames the concept of likability in stories like this one. Uh, but Ben Tanaka, who is portrayed brilliantly by Justin Min, who you may remember from the uh, science fiction film After Yang. And if you haven't seen After Yang... It's great. Oh, such a good movie. Uh, ben Tanaka is a character that is... <sighs> he is stuck. Mm. And he is his own worst enemy. Like I would say, we all are. Yeah. Right? And this is a comic in which it takes a long time for him to recognize what's getting in the way of his progress. Long time, if ever. If, if ever, if ever. And, and I can see why some viewing might want to reach into these panels and throttle the guy. But that tension is what excites me personally. The first time I read it, like, I, and I tell the story of having read it, to Adrian Tomini, so I'm not gonna repeat the whole story. But like, the first time I read it, I was like, okay, that was that was a good book, but how do I feel? Right, 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 yeah. And rereading the book in preparation for seeing the movie, and then listening, like prepping for this interview and listening to some interviews with Adrian really opened up this story for me and now so I'm cool. just a tremendously big fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first comic of his that I ever read was The Loneliness of the Long Distance Cartoonist, which is actually an autobiographical book. And I believe it starts with Adrian flying to Comic-Con. Yes. And there is a moment at the end of that book where he thinks he is having a heart attack. Uh, spoilers. <laughs> and it turns out he's having acid reflux, a severe case of acid reflux. And I went through that exact same experience. And that's how this conversation is going to begin with me just wanting to tell Adrian that as I was going through my experience, his comic book was playing in my head. And 
I felt comfort in that, but also it just highlighted my own mortality. Uh, and, you know, I like, what did I want to get from Adrian in that moment? I'm not exactly sure, <laughs> but you're going to hear what I get from him. Uh, and, and, and it's very sweet. It's very sweet. Shortcomings, when I first read it, I was like, this is such like a Gen X story. Ben is the kind of guy who's too cool to like anything mainstream. And watching the movie and then also having nibblings that are finally becoming like teenagers. And I'm like, oh, being a snobby (laughs) a-hole, bless my family, is evergreen. Yeah, it's evergreen. It's part of the human condition. And so much of um, maturation is just getting out of your own way and opening your heart to all kinds of different stories and ideas and leaving room for people to have their own flippin' opinion. Yeah, and I, I think that's a perfect place to stop and just hop on over to this Zoom chat with Adrian Tomini. And uh, we'll meet you on the other side for the outro. Adrian, welcome to Comic Book Couples Counseling. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, we're so excited to have you here. I gotta say, you know, two years ago, I read... Uh, the loneliness of the long distance cartoonist. I absolutely loved it. And then in 2022, uh, I thought I was having a heart attack and Mm. I went to the hospital. I went to the emergency room with Lisa here Mm -hmm. and they almost immediately told me you actually just have a really bad acid reflux situation. (laughs) And I flashed back immediately to your comic. And as I was going through the process of them confirming that, all the events that went through your life as depicted in the comic were happening in mine. <laughs> and I found that super soothing, but also I was like, oh, this is a mortality moment. Yeah, that's a little little intrusive of me to, to horn in on your uh, <laughs> your final moments of uh, your life flashing before you and you're thinking about uh, some of my comics. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad you were there, though. I'm glad yeah. you were there. You got me through that very long day. Yeah, yeah. It, I've obviously I've been there and it's no it's no fun, but um, you know, it's the it's the best uh resolution to that that you can imagine really. Yeah, but the no coffee thing is <laughs> Yeah, well, I drink I drink coffee. I just don't drink caffeine. Uh, oh, interesting. So we've gone the other route where we've found caffeinated low acid coffee. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And it's 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 a little better. It, it's a little yeah. better. <laughs> it tastes like old age. Um, <laughs> right. I actually, in preparation for this interview, I listened to your twenty twenty November twenty twenty interview on the podcast. Recommend if you like. Okay. Which was, uh, which was a great episode, a great interview. I'd never listened to that podcast before, but you mentioned that you're not a guy who goes back and rereads his old work that you find going back and reading no. your old stuff kind of like cringy. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. how was it adapting this work from 2007 for <laughs> Randall Park so he could direct it? You know, uh, there's actually some sort of, um, I don't know, like time limit on that cringiness. So something mm. from from 20 years ago is almost uh, easier for me to revisit than something from two years ago. Um it almost feels like it was the work of a of a different person rather than this person who who screwed up and you know committed these things to paper that can't be changed. Um, so, I mean, it was it was weird. I I hadn't sat down and and read shortcomings uh, 
since it was published. Uh, so to so to go back to it, um, you know, the adaptation obviously necessitated that. But um, I really enjoyed the process in the end, not because I sat there <laughs> loving my 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 old work so much, but because it was a great opportunity to um to do what I don't think many writers get to do, which is to have a second crack at at a book, basically. You know, most people, if they're lucky enough to get something published, it comes out once and it goes out into the world and maybe it stays in print if they're extra lucky. And then they sort of have to live with this thing as they evolve as a person and the work stays frozen on paper. Um, so particularly with uh, uh, with this book, it felt really exciting and interesting to sort of revisit it um, at this stage in my life, you know, since, since the book came out, I've moved across the country. I've gotten married. I've had two kids, um, you know, million different monumental changes have happened to me as a person. So, uh, I really love being able to have a second crack at this material and these characters and to sort of, uh, reframe it, uh, from, from this point of view. How would you articulate exactly like what, like what what did you go in and going like oh yay i have an opportunity to change this thing like what's an example of a thing that you feel like you like retooled well the 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 most obvious one is just that uh it's set now in the present day which right. i in my mind it always it always has been set in the present day it's just that <laughs> that present day is now 20 years ago so yeah. when when we first started talking about it um the the producers that was one of the first things they brought up they said do you want to make this a period piece or 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 update it. And I was like, a period piece? What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, and so to go back and look at it and um, and to see that, that there's all these little things that would jump out at people now of, of, of people kind of angrily slamming down landlines at the end of phone conversations. And um, there's a big plot twist that hinges on a character needing to literally fly across the country to see something that the, that the friend, <laughs> that their friend in New York has seen rather than just like, texting a photo to them um so there were a lot of technological things like that that uh that we put a lot of effort into to to updating um and and because in the end when we discussed it we thought uh it's not like it's not like so far in the past that it really adds something to the story that it needs to be set in in this year um and uh and then just on a pragmatic level, we started talking about like how much would it cost to have every single car that goes by in the background be a 2000 model car or something like that. And it, to me, it just wasn't worth it at all. And, and, and I, I, I felt like that was sort of a, that would, would have been kind of a unnecessary distraction. Um, and I wanted to make the story as, as accessible and as present and as, 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 uh, modern as possible. So, you know, we, we did, did the work of updating it. Um, uh, and beyond that, I, uh, have you guys seen the movie yet? Yes, uh, yes. we have. Seen oh, you have. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll notice that it's pretty, it, he was pretty close to the book, but they're shockingly so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I would say if you, if you were to, not that anyone would, but if they were to sit with the book in front of them while they watch the movie, I think you'd see that one, maybe subliminal changes that I've sort of, I sort of tried to move a little bit outside of the main character's point of view and kind of no matter what one character rants about or says that might be kind of a controversial point that somewhere within the work there's sort of a counter argument to it mm -hmm. or sort of or, or sort of they're sort of disputed or proven wrong or something like that um and and that was important to me to sort of uh 
even just in little ways expand the voice of some of the other characters and other points of view. In doing that, did your perspective or even your feeling toward those characters change? Well, unlike pretty much everyone else in the world, I don't have as uh, <laughs> uh, negative reactions to, to to these characters. You know, um, uh, I see even in in interviews with other people who've worked on the film where they refer to the characters as shitty and, and <laughs> things like that. And I always take that a little bit personally. Um, it uh, it kind of reminds me of. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever watched Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Every so, episode. Okay. So the idea that, that you know, everybody feels free to insult the George Costanza character to Larry David's face when it's <laughs> very, very close to his his heart. Um, I, I have related to that quite a bit over the course of this process. And, um, you know, my feelings about the characters have evolved, but uh, they, they they really are... This book, to me, I, I think one of the inspirations in in a weird way was was Charles Schultz's Peanuts comic strip. Um, that was one of one of the first works of art that I, I fell in love with, and it was you know one of the biggest inspirations to me as a cartoonist. But I always held on to this anecdote, or it, it came up in a lot of interviews with Charles Schultz, where people would say like, you know, you you must be Charlie Brown. Where'd you get the inspiration for all the other characters? And he said, No, I'm actually all the all the characters and even these kind of secondary characters are some part of my personality. And, um, you know, and I, and I sort of feel that way about, about this cast of characters and shortcomings. I, I found another interview, an interview actually from 2007, where you talked about like, you know, like people keep calling, calling Ben, like a, a piece of shit, a, like a bad person. <laughs> yeah. And you said like, you know, like you, you say something like, I, I guess that my bar for humanity is like a little bit lower than the average person. And I go like, huh. and it made me think about like our bar for our protagonists, I think of our stories, we want them to be slightly better than like the average human being. And what yeah. I love about shortcomings is that like in most stories, like the main character is like this dynamic person who changes and all of the other characters are kind of flat. Yeah. But in shortcomings, Ben is the flat character yeah. Yeah. and all of the other characters are like super dynamic. And, yeah. and so what is that in like, and then you bring up like Charlie Brown, like Charlie Brown is like a flat line. He is a, like a not yeah. a dynamic character either. Like, was that intentional? Like yeah, that idea of, yeah. Yeah. That's, I'm glad you noticed that. Cause that's actually another thing that I sort of, um, uh, leaned on a little more in in the screenplay. Um, you'll notice, like, I guess I don't want to give away. Not that this really would be the kind of movie that could be spoiled, but I think you'll find that we see a little bit of kind of a resolution for a lot of the characters, aside from from the character, uh, the main character. Um, and that was something that I'd had in mind for a long time. Um, uh, and you know, it, it is funny how how the <laughs> the world has responded to this this protagonist and i remember when the book first came out uh, I, I was kind of taken aback by the the response and so just for fun i would sit in front of the computer and i would type in the character's name plus whatever expletive that i could think of into google and see if something <laughs> came up so i type like ben tanaka prick oh look at all these blog <laughs> entries or something like that um now but I, I will say that yeah yeah i guess my my bar for judging a character or even even a person might be a little different from the general public 
But I think there's also something really strange about how we judge characters within within movies. Um, you know, because like if you think about like a lot of characters in in bigger like blockbuster movies uh, that are kind of beloved, um, you know they literally like go around the world killing people. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they, they, they fight people, they kill people. Uh, and, and no one ever once says like, well, I don't know about the likability of Ethan Hunt or whatever. You know? <laughs> um, and so I, I think there's something about if it's, if it's heightened into like blockbuster territory, you can accept all kinds of behavior as long as the, the movie star is charming and it's a fun kind of escapist entertainment. But I think when it starts to become a little more low key, a little less escapist, a little more in the realm of um, maybe an audience member identifying with rather than fantasizing about, uh, then then the the judgment of that character starts to really shift. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, if if any of the things that some of these characters said or did were put within the context of a fun, violent action movie, <laughs> the, the judgment of them might be a bit different. I remember my first experience reading shortcomings because I, it was like something like we had just gone to the comic book store and I had just picked it up and I didn't have the intention. Like we, and we went to a coffee shop and I was like, I'm just going to flip the pages Mm. until while we drink the coffee and then I'll, I'll finish the book at another time. And, and it got to the point where it's just like, Brad, like I can't leave. Like I have to, I have to know how this, how Ben turns out. And then you get to those pages on, on the plane and then you're like, Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't get to I don't get to really know. And I was really challenged by that. Yeah. But like now on the on the reread and then seeing the film, I actually have a tremendous amount of empathy for Ben because I see him like as like kind of a, a failure to launch character mm-hmm. where there is supposed to be this point in our maturation where we realize that, oh, our opinions are not our demeanor. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. I'm I'm not what I what I like is not what I am like. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and like, is that right. something you found in your own like creative work where, where you went like, Oh, I am not like, I like indie comic books. I create indie comic books, but like I myself, I'm not an indie comic book. Oh yeah. I mean th- that, that came with time and age for sure. But uh, I'd say that having kids had a huge impact on, on that and that side of my personality, um, just a complete shift. Uh, and, um, and yeah. And so, um, it's hard. It's yeah. To, to, to think back to, to some of the, the, the things that I held of such high importance or things that I would argue about or whatever, um, uh, when I was, when I was in my twenties or, or, teens or whatever is sort of inconceivable at this point, really. Um, you know, I think, um, I actually, you know, I was going to make a sweeping generalization, but I know some parents who, who've stayed very steadfast to their, uh, esoteric, uh, tastes and everything like that, despite having kids. But for me, it's like been a complete, you know, artistically, I've tried to stay true to, to my instincts, but in terms of like, what movies I see or where I go on vacations or something like that. It's been completely destroyed by, <laughs> by children. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely uh, happy with that. I feel like, you know, Ben struggle with that side of him, you know, his identity being wrapped up in 
what he likes and what other people like and if people don't like what he likes you know it causes conflict i feel yeah. like that's a plague yeah. that has been um uh rapidly elevated because of social media and yeah i i found myself very much like ben in that fashion you know when mm -hmm. talking about movies talking about comics those were me yeah and it took a long time to to recognize myself beyond my own likes yeah yeah but i know so many people that don't yeah and it's and it's hard to when you're in that mindset it's it's difficult to like a person who likes stuff that you hate <laughs> yeah yeah and it was you know i think actually when we finally started dating and we got married and the first time lisa was like uh i don't think the Terminator's a good movie. <laughs> and right. I was like, oh, sacrilege to you. Screw right? me for saying that. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, 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 you can say it. You can well, say it. It's not for me is what yeah. I would say now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, also a, a big step in that evolution for me was just kind of uh, uh, facing the public a little bit more. So like, mm. you know, it, it will really affect that kind of thinking if you go out to sign books and you meet mm. people who have stood in line to, to, to get your signature or something, and they're the sweetest people in the world. And you, you, you know, want to buy them dinner because they came and stood in line. And at the last minute, they'll say, yeah, you're my favorite you along with, and then they'll mention ah. someone, that, <laughs> someone that you hate. And you're like, Oh, <laughs> uh, you and Michael it, Bay. You're like my yeah. favorite. <laughs> it, it, it happens all the time. Like, I don't know what that compulsion is. Like I've, I've never, I don't think I've done that. Like if I met an artist or a filmmaker or someone that I like, I wouldn't tell them my list of other artists that I like along with them, but it, it does happen all the time. And, and, and I just have to be, you know, generous about it because they're, you know, especially in the early days when I was in my twenties and I would go to like Comic-Con and things like that. Like I was a real snob about comics. Like there were like 10 cartoonists that I liked and, and everybody else was garbage, you know? And so the law of averages is, you know, most people would say like, I like you and these five other people. And I'd be like snapping my pencil or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Like I, there was like a time in my life where it's just like, if you like a few things, you're smarter. Like, it's just like, if you like a lot of things, you can't be very bright. Like we, like right. where it's just like, I would just sneer at people whose fucking hearts are open. Like, yeah. what is yeah. that? But yeah, I love the title shortcomings mm -hmm. because like Ben is an individual who doesn't really realize that what he's doing is like, just like measuring himself against yeah. other people. Yeah. And like, and like part of maturation is also realizing, oh, these aren't my shortcomings. These are actually the parameters that created the the person that I am today. Like these yeah. are these are the these are kind of like the bumpers that that shape my life. Like has your has your relationship to your own shortcomings, like as an artist and just like as a person, have you have you found yourself like I find myself now kind of loving my shortcomings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, again, it's, it's, I, I think I'd be doing a totally different interview and I think I would have probably done a different version of this film adaptation if I hadn't spent the last, you know, 13 years of my life being, <laughs> being a parent really. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, for me, priorities have shifted so much and, um, 
there's certain things where I feel like, uh, you know, this kind of shortcoming or this sort of limitation is fine. It's irrelevant to, <laughs> to my daily life and, you know, let it be. And then there are ones where it's like, this, this must change. You must mm. be, you must be more responsible. You must be more whatever. And, um, and, you know, to have those kinds of imperatives, you know, self self-imposed where you say to yourself, like, I have to fix this. I have to get better at this. Um, that's, yeah. that's definitely not the conversation I had with myself very much when I was in my twenties. Uh, back then it was more like, um, I can't, you know, just, just outrage. I can't believe that anyone would expect me to change that aspect mm. of myself, you know? Um, uh, and so that's, that's a, a big difference, I'd say, between the various <laughs> phases of my life. So in returning to shortcomings to adapt it for the screen and then passing off that screenplay to these filmmakers and these actors, yeah, it has to be a surreal experience, but I'm curious as yeah. to what discoveries you found in your own work through their work, through their performance? Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot. Uh, I mean, one of the biggest discoveries for me was that I really enjoyed the collaborative process. Um, you know, up until this, I've worked in the same way, which is even since I was a teenager, I had a drafting table in the corner of my bedroom and I would work from home every day. And next thing I know, 30 years have gone by. <laughs> I've been doing the exact same thing. Um, and so going into this was was you know a big question mark and and there was there was a part of me that wanted to have it be a disaster so that the last 30 years of my life would be totally vindicated mm. and i would say like see i i knew that working alone in isolation was the best way and that everything else was was bullshit um but uh thankfully that that was not the case and um i mean even the writing process i really enjoyed and um i mean the, the the production of the film and post production even the the state that we're in right now is just like an insane roller coaster. Um, whereas my previous way of working on comics was not a roller coaster at all. It was a very straight tra train track that went on flat ground um, for a long time at a slow speed. And, and this is, you know, every day stuff far out of my control and my my experience uh, comes at me and and you know changes things um uh but you know it's still at the end of the day uh, a net gain for me like i the the positive the, the overall reaction has i would say it still lands on the positive side of the scale for me um so that was a big surprise um let me think uh you know i i, I think it to me, the, the the version of these characters that's in the movie now is really a collaboration. Like, you know, the, the version that's in the book was was purely me writing and drawing and doing everything. And and this version, um, uh, a lot of the characters really feel to me like a collaboration between me and Randall, the director, and the actor who, who, was, who was playing them. Um, and, you know, one of the things I said early on in the process was we already have my control freak version of the story that's in print forever. <laughs> and I don't need to replicate that for this, this opportunity, this is a different opportunity. And um, especially, you know, I'm, 
who I am. I'm an older guy and these characters are younger. Uh, I'm a man. Some of these are women. And, you know, there's a lot of differences between me and the characters at this point. And I said, I want the actors to feel like they can bring their own life and their own experience to this character and to correct me if I get things wrong and to say the lines in the way that feels more comfortable to them rather than, you know, exactly how I typed it out on, on the page. Um, and so that was kind of seeding that control and then sitting back and watching the results was, was a really uh, nerve wracking, but, but really surprisingly fulfilling experience. Like um, I, I ruined takes on the set sometimes because I was laughing, you know, <laughs> at not even at, at jokes, you know, some of the jokes cracked me up, but a lot of it, I would just laugh in this sort of elated way to see how he said it with that emphasis on a line. I didn't mean that, but it's better or something like that. Um, so that kind of stuff was really kind of um, transformative for me in, in some ways. And has it changed the way that you've gone back to work at your drawing table? Or do you think like, has it changed the way, are, are you are you gonna maybe, is your, your choo-choo train gonna make some turns? turns well, and well, I mean, I, I'm still, um, I feel like I'm still working on on this movie. It's like until yeah. it's it's in theaters, it's it's kind of a a pretty heavy job. Um, you know, I think I'm gonna enjoy having, as long as I can balance it, kind of two different tracks in my life, and to be able to retreat to the 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 solitude of working at my desk and and doing things exactly the way I want on my own. Um, I think is a nice counterbalance to the, the 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 filmmaking process, which which I also really enjoy. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I don't think I would give up one for the other, and I think that they kind of they make each one more the other more palatable. I would say. Well, the film comes out on August fourth. I actually just saw the trailer on the big screen the other day, and it was oh. it looked good up there on that. Was screen. it with uh, Joyride? It yes. was. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, I'm I'm excited for people to check it out. It is one of those adaptations, you know. Any anytime you have like a comic that you love, and you're like, okay, here here comes an adaptation of it, uh, you get a little nervous, you know. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and, but uh, you know, from this this person's perspective, I think Lisa would agree with me. It's a fantastic adaptation. It it doesn't, um, you know, it's in conversation with the original work, which yeah, is for what sure. I want an adaptation to be. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Um, that was that was 100% our goal. And, you know, not that anyone was signing up to do like a complete like, you know, Sin City kind of frame by frame <laughs> <laughs> replica. But I, I definitely didn't want that. I, I, I um, at any kind of juncture in the road, I, I would say like the, the, the top priority here is to do make the decision that will make this the best movie possible, not the most faithful adaptation. And surprisingly, it is still kind of shockingly faithful, especially when I go back and look at the book now after having seen the movie so many times. Um, but yeah, the, the the top priority and our our kind of main directive always was just to to make a, a as good a movie as possible. Well congratulations Adrian and thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We oh, my super pleasure. appreciate it. Oh my pleasure. Thanks and uh thanks for watching and uh thanks for reading the book uh, so long ago. I really appreciate it. 
had a great chat. Yeah. I never say that. You, usually you're like the one who comes out in the outro. Yeah, but why should it always be the same way? Why I should know. I be the master of the record button? <laughs> because you are. It's your oh, laptop, yeah. and right. I don't edit anything. And it's I think my laptop. <laughs> Lisa has no right to this laptop. You know what? I would never touch a straight man's laptop, but that's just me. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's wise. That's just common sense. I did want to put one more plug for the recommend if you like podcast. I've literally, by Brian Heater, I've literally only listened to the Adrian Tomini episodes. He's clearly an interviewer who knows how to get out of the interviewee's way, which is so not our style. We are like fully in the way. We are lying in the middle of the road. And he like watches respectfully from the side and lets I'll, the interviewer uh, shine. Put links in the show notes to those episodes, or at least to one of those episodes, uh, as long as I can find it. Uh, Easy to find. I found it. I I found it on Spotify. All right. Put a link in the show notes for our notes notes, and then I'll put it in the link for the show notes in the listeners notes notes. Yeah, yeah. We Does can talk about sense? this off mic. No, 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 no. <laughs> we don't have time to, to discuss these things right now. It's because Comic Con. That's right. We're in Comic Con. Right uh, I loved the moment in this conversation where we were talking about likability and Adrian brought up Ethan Hunt from the mm. Mission Impossible franchise and these action hero characters who are going around slaughtering people left and right. And we never questioned their likability. But when we talk about stories that are more grounded, like shortcomings, suddenly likability becomes such a concern. And I never thought about it like that before. But I got to say, if you're going to directly compare Ethan Hunt to Ben Tanaka, <laughs> Ethan is way nicer to his friends. He loves his friends so much. Yeah, Benji does love Ethan Hunt. But do not. Oh, I almost gave a spoiler. Don't spoil. Don't spoil Dead Reckoning Part 1. Don't. Don't. I know what you're going to say. Don't you do it, Lisa. Don't you do it. Um, we're working out some feelings regarding that film right now because we just saw it last week uh, from the point in time you're listening. Um, anything else that really stood out from this conversation, Lisa? Only that, like, a huge turning point, I feel like, in a lot of our interviewees' lives is that they have children. Ah, uh, yeah. And when they had children... They stopped being the monsters that we they were. And it just makes me wonder, like, are we going to be like me and you telly on Sesame Street, people? just monsters forever loving our triangles? No, 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 because you know, we are going to evolve and change. We know that we have already evolved and, and changed from the people that we were in 2007, at least. That's our that's our hope. That's our perspective that we have changed. Uh, although I sometimes think that that's the the worst place to be regarding yourself. You never really can see what you're like. You yeah, know, you, you yeah. You can judge characters in a book we so can, easily. We could all be Ben Tanaka, right? Exactly. Going around being self centered and repulsive, and absolutely. we would have no idea. Absolutely, absolutely. It's on others to judge us on, on how we're doing. I'm just gonna start googling Lisa Gullickson prick. But something you said off mic about how we tend to judge fictional characters far more severely than our own character, we, us. We are. hold them to a higher standard. Yes. Where, like, um, 
when a main character is being a dirtbag, we, we, we either go like, this is either trash or an indie movie. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fascinating. So maybe we should, uh, <laughs> we should judge our fictional characters and ourselves equally. Is that, is that the lesson? I think that, like, we should compare ourselves to Ben Tanaka and make sure that we are not a line running parallel. I think judgment and judging is the wrong it's phrase, comparing. Word, it's right? comparing. Because that's really what does Ben Tanaka in is the of him going from person to person and going like, do I have better opinions than this guy? Do I have a more interesting girlfriend than this guy? Like, am I like the people in my movie or my porno or whatever? And like <laughs> At the end of the day, after we close our eyes and are staring into the darkness, we have to be able to go to sleep with ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was our conversation with Adrian Tomini about Shortcomings, the graphic novel out now from Drawn and Quarterly. And the film adaptation starring Justin Min and directed by Randall Park is coming soon to a theater near you on August 4th. Be on the lookout for that. You know... There was a superhero movie that we avoided talking about in the intro Ooh. that got a lot of conversation earlier in the year as the best comic book movie of all time. And then we all saw that movie and went, no, that's not the best comic book movie of all time. But we've had several really great comic book adaptations this year. Some of my favorites have been Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. So good. We freaking loved American Born Chinese on Disney+. Plus. So good. And Shortcomings is right there. You know, the superhero space, that tends to like, that, that tends to overwhelm conversation around comic book movies. But hey, there are comic book adaptations beyond those coming from Marvel and DC. Yeah, Adrian Tomini is just walking in the footsteps of one of his heroes, Daniel Klaus. Yeah, Ghost World. One of the first movies that we screened within the Mouth of Darkness, our old podcast at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia. And it would still apply to our comically real kind of screenings that we're doing at the Alamo Draft House right now, which, by the way, on the 31st, of July, if you're in town or if you're in the DMV area, you should get to the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia for our screening of Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Another great non-superhero comic book movie, though it has superhero elements. It does. It does. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Um, anything else? Okay. So it's Comic-Con. It's Friday. Tomorrow is Saturday. We are going to have a conversation with Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips talking about the Enfield Gang Massacre, the That Texas Blood spinoff series. That conversation we actually haven't had yet. It's going to happen on Monday, which is the Monday behind you, but the Monday in front of us. And then on Sunday, we're going to close out our Comic-Con shenanigans with a conversation with Julie Sakai and Stan Sakai talking about their Dogu publishing imprint, which is just having a moment. Dark Horse Comics is relaunching Usagi Yojimbo with Ice and Snow, and Lisa and I are insanely excited. Yes. And then when we come back from San Diego Comic-Con, we're going to have some more episodes that will contain the in-person interviews that we had on the ground at the San Diego Comic-Con International a lot, lot going on. A lot going on with comic book couples counseling, but uh, damn it, it's rad. This is like the most significant time in comic book couples counseling's history, and we're approaching our five-year anniversary, Lisa. So exciting. Pretty exciting. 
Okay, Brad. Yes. Make sure that you scan your badge on the way out of this episode. <laughs> okay. Because if you don't scan your badge, right. Eddie Ibrahim himself uh-huh. will get to kick you right in your nards. Oh, no, my nards. Where can our listeners send the words of affirmation to you? I love my nards almost as much as I love my social media. <laughs> and you can find me on most social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at a cool hand fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show posters, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. You should know. Here's another plug. I'm just going to do it for another podcast called the Missing Frames podcast. Aaron Prescott, who designed our logo, and I guested on the Missing Frames podcast recently to talk about every single Indiana Jones movie and man, when we got to Dial of Destiny, we we had our fists up. We were fighting. We were fighting during that conversation. So there's a link in the show notes to that episode of Missing Frames. Go show some love to that podcast as well. But Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation and only words of affirmation. Please do not send me your nards <laughs> at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram, Twitter, and Blue Sky. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes like our Married to Singles, Talking the Nam with Daniel Warren Johnson, and we still have like three issues left of our Sleepwalking Through Sandman before we go on to more episodes of Sleepwalking (laughs) Through Sandman. Right, right. You know, the original run of Sandman ended at 75, and we just did a conversation about issue 72 and when we hit 75, that's not really an ending because there's so Still much more Sandman, Sandman comics. So much Sandman. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Threads, Blue Sky, Facebook, at CBCC Podcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? Yes, please. We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy. Bum, bum, ba-da, bum, bum, ba-da.